Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. <laughs> Here we go. Right. Welcome to Take Two. Welcome to the 1000 Hours Outside podcast. My name is Ginny Urich. I have a guest with me today that you've probably heard of. Mike Lanza, the author of Playborhood. Welcome. Hello there. Great to be here. I think, I mean, I think most people have heard of Playborhood. Do you think so? Do you find that? Um, you know, it's kind of a, a cult thing um, in that um, we never got the, you know, the, the reach of free range kids, uh, you know, never got the sales of free range kids. But uh, we have some super enthusiastic readers. I just got an email from someone who wants to order like a hundred copies and put them in little free libraries throughout their city. Um, they're just super passionate about the ideas that we have. And we get tourists here in our yard. I mean, my, my yard is a living example of what, what I wrote about in Playborhood. You know, I got I got a guy from, from Peru. Uh, I get people from all over the United States. So it's kind of a cult following. Wow. And it's really a neat thing. It's got to be a little mind blowing for you, Mike, that this book came out in 2012. So it's been over a decade and that people are still ordering in those large quantities. It's such a needed message. So you have been blogging on Playborhood. You started in 2007. You live in Menlo Park, California with your wife and kids. And you're a software and internet entrepreneur in Silicon Valley. So, you know, you have this interesting, just this interesting eclectic uh, uh, economics education, MBA, all of these different things, but you really were passionate about your own childhood and being able to replicate parts of that for your kids and found that you couldn't. So at what point did you decide, look, I'm I'm doing all this other stuff. I've got all these other things going. I'm a, a software engineer, but also I want to be an advocate for childhood play. Well, there's a, actually, there's a way I can paint this as all fitting together. And that is um, when my first son was born, uh, it's now 19 years ago, sure, almost 19 years ago, you know, I started talking to people for the first time about, you know, what is the life of kids these days? What do kids do? Because I've been a single guy uh, all that time. And uh, I was aghast. I was amazed how horrible, I thought, how horrible kids' lives were. They were driven around to uh, different activities and you know on screens all the time and no time for independent play so my the entrepreneur me and said you know and i think most people wouldn't say this the entrepreneur me said oh i don't accept that i'm going to change it um and uh i just decided well i'm going to figure out how to make a life of play uh independent play for my kids and it turned out to be a lot harder than i thought it was um but you know 19 years later i can give examples of how we've really done it. And mm-hmm. Since the publication of the book, stuff that people don't know about from the book, uh, we've really been very successful. But it's really it was really by being entrepreneurial and thinking outside the box and really trying to, you know, just go against the grain of everything that people do these days that led us to where I am today, mm-hmm. led me to where I am today. I think one of the most interesting parts to me was when you talk about getting kids outside, which that's what we're trying to do is that it's just not very appealing and that they have so many more things inside that are appealing to them. And so this is the struggle. So what is it that makes the neighborhoods less appealing than they used to be? They're dead. They're boring. Who wants to go outside when no one's out there? So we've, we've got this kind of circular problem, if you will. It's a network effect problem. to use my economics uh, background, mm-hmm. um, in that uh, no one's outside, so no one wants to go outside. Mm-hmm. In other words, the fact that my neighbors are heavily controlling their kids and driving them around to all sorts of activities, yeah. booking them in summer camps, that has a direct negative impact on my kids' lives. Wow. So if I just decide, if I just tell my kids, go, go outside, have fun, it's wonderful out there. It's not. It's not, it's not fun. Somehow, without forcing neighbors, I'm not into forcing, uh, somehow we have to figure out how to make the neighborhood fun, how to make it exciting. And really, that's about somehow getting kids to go outside and play. 
And that's really what the book is about. Mm -hmm. So I had, you know, I've heard of your book for a long time and I'm so glad I, I've got it now and I've read it. I, like I said, I really enjoyed it. Even it's, it's interesting when a book resonates a decade later and it's just still such a great fit. I was talking to Dr. Peter Gray oh, yeah. who wrote Free to Learn and he said he came to your house and he was talking about how all of the playthings or not all of them, but a lot of them were in the front yard and I'd never heard of that. So tell us why you put some different playthings in your front yard in addition to things in the backyard. Well, we're, uh, you've got a national audience, I guess, Jenny. Uh, I was born and raised in Pittsburgh, uh, uh, the suburbs of Pittsburgh. And there where we lived, uh, it was actually illegal to build fences between yards. Hmm. But where I live in Northern California, in Silicon Valley, every yard is fenced in. It's just, just the way it is. It's a different culture. And so backyards where we live, if I, you know, <laughs> if I get a little funny about it, I, can, I, I would say they're kind of like penitentiaries for kids. I mean, they're, they're nice penitentiaries, but you, you're fenced in. You can't see other kids. I remember when I was a kid, I would go outside in my backyard and other kids would look outside their window and they'd see me out there and they'd run over yeah. because they could see me. And, they, and, and we had fields that went across multiple yards. Backyards uh, where I live are useless from the point of view of getting kids out to play because they're, they're fenced in. So we've really made our front yard a, a big emphasis on our front yard, um, especially when my kids were very little. And, and you know, now there's a lot of more kids playing in our, in our neighborhood. But way back when, when we first moved here, uh, there weren't many. And we needed to advertise. We needed to sort of promote the fact uh, so uh, that, that our kids are playing. So they had to be very visible. Mm -hmm. This is a, a mind-blowing idea, really, that I think that probably most people have not thought of unless they have read your book because there is just this tendency to put the things in the backyard probably for aesthetics right. or maybe just because that's the cultural norm is that the play structure the little pool it all goes in the backyard but your point is is so well driven home that if you're like, hey, you know, the average parent, like, hey, yeah, turn off the TV, you know, turn off the video games, go play outside, that when the child looks out the window or steps out the door, it just looks boring. Yeah, it is boring. Mm -hmm. It is boring. And, and, and another way to put it that I, I, I go through, actually, I think in the first chapter of the book, is I talk about how um, when a kid is thinking, okay, I got some free time, what do I do? You know, they have a bunch of choices. They have a menu of choices. They could turn on this video game, it's a hundred percent chance they're going to get, you know, their experience on that video game. There's, they could open their, their iPad, their iPhone and check out a, a, a social network. hundred percent chance it's going to work. Yeah. What are the chances if I go outside that I'm going to see somebody doing something that there's going to be something going on that's going to be fun. And I would argue uh, using kind of a, a framework of, of the, the way network affects work. Mm -hmm. uh, it's either going to be close to zero or it's going to be, a very high probability, 60, 70%, because no other, there's no equilibrium. There's no 20%. Let's, let's say it's 20%. Why would you go outside if there's a 20% or 10% chance that there's something going on when there's a 100% chance that, that my phone is going to turn on and I'm going to be, be able to jump into my game right away? It doesn't make sense. So somehow uh, the neighborhood has to be so compelling, so fun at certain times, you know, at a predictable time. And, and for our neighborhood, it's after school, during school yeah. time, uh, and it's afternoons, uh, late afternoons uh, in the summer. That's a time when people know there's something going on. Uh, and at those times, uh, if the probability is high enough, if it's 50, 60, 70%, then they'll go, they'll try it out. But if it's too low, wow. they're not going to try it. Yes, 100% chance that there's going to be new videos on YouTube. Yeah. It's so interesting. So it really is this collective effort. It's like the, the biggest draw is not a big play structure. It's not any of these really expensive things. It's kids. That's the biggest draw. Well, it's, so, so let, me, let me say something about the play structure because I, I think it's interesting. Uh, this, this brings me to, to, to the, the point about parks. We all love parks. I love parks. What's the problem with parks? Well, kids are not allowed to roam independently these days um, very far. They're not allowed to roam independently some kids aren't allowed, allowed outside their yard. Uh, some mm -hmm. kids are allowed maybe, you know, a couple houses, you know, from where they live. It depends on how old they are as well, how busy the street is. Um, mm -hmm. But when I was a kid, and I'm 
I'm pretty old now. I'm 60 years old. Uh, when I was growing up in the Pittsburgh suburbs, we would just get together and, and go to a park a mile away. We would walk there and just see what's going on. That doesn't happen anymore. So big play structures at parks are just not going to get traffic of independent, independent kids. Uh, it's going to get parents, you know, one parent, one kid, one parent, two kids, uh, that sort of thing. Now, if you have a big play structure in your yard, and if it's visible, and you know, that's a, that's a bit of a contradiction because most people want big play structures in their backyard. But if you've got some, something really attractive and people can see it, boy, that's a big draw. Mm-hmm. And, and so that gets into the whole question, the whole, the whole, the whole uh, discussion of how do we get a critical mass of kids showing up on a regular basis? Mm. And it's a big mindset shift. Yeah, it's a big mindset. I would just say the point is that if you've got some really attractive things and it's very close to, to a number of kids that and they'll just go and, and wander there. Then you've got critical mass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The aim is to make it attractive mm-hmm. because you say a fierce competition for children's time and attention has emerged in the past few decades. Decades ago, free play was the only option. If you want something to do that, that was it. That's what you had. Yeah. And now there is so much else that's vying for their attention. So you give some really cool ideas in here. You talk about how a lot of places don't allow you to put a play structure in your front yard. It's building codes or things like that. But you have a whole bunch of cool ideas of things that you did, things that you put in your front yard. And what Dr. Peter Gray said, which I thought was so fascinating, was that you put things that appealed to a broad range of ages. So I would think, you know, if you got a toddler, you're going to have toddler toys out there. If you got a six-year-old, you're going to have things that are good for a six-year-old. But you had this wide range of things and maybe still do, maybe we should come visit. You just said someone was just there from Peru. So tell us about what your front yard is like. What are some of the features? Well, it, it, it so, so first of all, I'll say that I have three boys. There's their age range of five years between 14 and, and, and 19. And uh, we have sort of moved the window of, to some extent of what the things that we have, uh, depending on their age, to some extent. So we used to have, when we had toddlers, we used to have a sandbox. We had a sandbox in our front yard, so cool. um, and and we told people we told two people just come and play. And very often we would come home, drive the car into the driveway, and there'd be someone, uh, some uh, parents and kids, or just kids playing in our sandbox. We also had a play river. Um, that's a that's a, a, a set of fiberglass boxes that go down and from this guy, uh, uh, Greg Gregory Gavin Riveropolis. So riveropolis.com. And um, you can turn it on and it pumps water to the top and the water goes down and you race boats and you put rocks in and you you change the flow of the river. Uh, That's something we don't have anymore because we don't have any little toddlers who who really love water. But for for, for kids like six, five, six, seven years old, they can't stop. They love it. We have some things today. We have have whiteboard all along one fence line and we have a, a, a dry erase markers just sitting out there in a box people know they, they draw on there we have a picnic table which you know it's i'll tell you one interesting thing is um you know kids are not going to come just to sit but seating is an important part of of a kid hangout um kids aren't playing all the time sometimes they want to sit so we have a picnic table um we also have a, a mural on our our driveway uh it's a mural of our neighborhood it's a, it's a map it, it has, and also I draw, I drew in the lot lines for each house. So it's, 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 cool. it's, uh, and, and actually the, the lots, the, the, the lot rectangles are just the right size. So you could put a Lego base plate at, at any uh, lot and then kids can build a, 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 they're, they're a house, any a house in any place. Um, wow. We have mosaics. So we, I, I used to run summer camps in my front yard. Uh, we have mosaics that have real meaning. For us and real meaning for kids in our neighborhood, we have a basketball hoop. Uh, now my kids are older and they play a lot of basketball on the street. We have some, we have some scootering and and and, uh, and skateboarding ramps, uh, and kids are really into that stuff. Um, so uh, you know, the, the skateboarding and scootering didn't happen when, when my kids were, were you know five, six, seven years old. Now, you know, when kids are teenagers, it's really important. And then our backyard, um, this is too long to answer your question, but my, our backyard. It's not. No, it's great. It's great. They're great ideas. Backyard has a lot, you know, actually, it is more attractive because it's a backyard. You can put things in your backyard you can't put in your front yard. 
built-in trampoline that's ground level, a uh, huge uh, a playhouse, a zip line. So I'll just say about the backyard is, is since I published the book in 2012, our backyard has become a bona fide neighborhood hangout. And kids come over and hang out. And a lot of times we don't even know them very well. We, you know, we probably know one or two of the kids, but it's become a place where kids come and hang out. They jump on the trampoline. Uh, they uh, sit on the big, we have these huge body size beanbag chairs. It's a, uh, and they, they also go down the zip line. Uh, so it's become a place that people know, even though it's behind a fence and you have to open a gate, they know that it's a reputation. And Kim's come, I would say there's groups of kids here almost every day coming here and, and, and playing in the yard. Wow. Mike, that is so cool. It's so impactful. And you just think about when you tell the story of, let's say you're pulling into your house, let's say you have a five or six-year-old and you're pulling in from the end of the day of school or something like that. And there happens to be another five or six-year-old or even a three-year-old right, right. in your yard playing in the sandbox. Right. Your kid's going to go to that kid and not go inside right. and plop in front of the television. Right, right, right. And, and, and I, I want to follow up on your point about uh, about multi-age, um, and this is particularly important for, for, for younger kids. Uh, younger kids often travel with their parents uh, and their siblings. And, and if, if you only have things that are aimed right at one age, then the siblings are going to get bored. They're going to say, Mom, I want to go. So you need to have things that appeal to a range of ages. Um, and uh, this is kind of the way we are because we have kids that are five years mm -hmm. apart. Um, uh, we have kids playing with each other of, of many different ages all the time. This is not like school. This is a neighbor. This is neighborhood play. Um, and, uh, you know, the basketball, all the different things. Kids have made up interesting, by the way, very interesting games on the trampoline. It's really multi-age. They make up rules that where there's some sometimes different rules for kids of different ages. Unbelievable. And it just goes to show how they can be so creative, how they can network, how they can learn these skills that you would need as an adult, how to compromise, how to be creative, how to be flexible, and how to look at things outside of the box. There's so much going on there. I know Dr. Peter Gray is such a huge advocate for multi-age play and talks about how it's really not happening hardly at all because whether it's in a, in a school environment, whether it's in an extracurricular environment, everybody tends to be siphoned off with their own age group in a religious environment. Churches often do the same thing. So they're not getting these opportunities unless it's in someone's neighborhood like yours. And what an incredible thing, Mike, that this has lasted for over a decade, that you have this yard. I think it's important to note that it still works. Even though your kids are older, that what you have established worked for them when they were toddlers, worked for your neighborhood. And here it is a decade later, and it's still working for your neighborhood absolutely it, it is and um i mean that's a uh, partially it's because you know as my kids get older we're trying to sort of move the window a little bit with them but it, it's you know the truth is there are so few places where kids can go and have fun even in a nice neighborhood where we live i shouldn't say even in a nice neighborhood you know if everybody's interested in making their yards perfect you know, to look at. Right. We've got a place, and it's just earned this reputation. I'll just say one thing about, about you, you talked about how kids learn skills that, that they need in life. This came to mind. Uh, so we have this in-ground trampoline, which is way more fun, by the way, than the trampoline that's three feet above ground because kids, can, it's, it's much safer. First of all, it's much mm -hmm. safer. Second of all, we have these huge beanbag chairs that go around it. So kids, some kids can sit on the beanbags and other kids can be jumping. And then they can play these games where they're running from the grass to the trampoline and then off to the grass again. And um, my, my, my kids devised this game years ago where it was kind of like volleyball, where there was this, this, this rope that went across uh, in the middle and they would, they would bounce the ball, but they were able to bounce the ball off the trampoline and then, then pass it oh, over. Cool. Um, but, but the interesting thing was my oldest son, who's five years older than my youngest son, so they're playing in a, a, a large range. He made a rule that for kids his age, they had to be on their knees. Wow. And so, and so the, the, the idea is, I mean, they got really competitive. They screamed, they, they argued, but they tried to create, create a level playing field. It got very competitive, but it was the kind of thing that kids five, six years apart could play. Mm -hmm. Doesn't it just point to their brilliance? It's just an interesting thing to think that as an older child, 
that you would say, look, I want to make this more fair, or I want to make this even more challenging. You know, it's not going to be fun for me if it's too easy. So I'm going to add this bit of challenge for myself to even the playing field a little bit. I mean, that is brilliant. Kids are amazing when you give them that space and opportunity. And that's what you need. That's what they need to do in life later on. They, They have to realize you know, I've got to level the playing field sometimes out there um, so that I can get everybody to participate in something so that I can get, um, you know, fill up my classroom. Mm-hmm. I can't be all, you know, the, the most advanced kids. And, uh, you know, they're, they're making those rules on their own, which, I, which is great. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. Don't you dare give someone another pair of socks this year. Instead, give a gift that will knock their socks off. Try Good Ranchers. America's source for American meat and your source for standout gifts this holiday season. While others will be regifting mugs and candles they got earlier this year, you'll be bestowing juicy burgers, crispy bacon, tender chicken, and phenomenal steak upon your secret Santas. Plus, Good Ranchers gift boxes are all 10% off until the new year. Good Ranchers has something for every meat eater in your life. They've got award-winning boxes full of steakhouse-quality American meat. When you gift someone Good Ranchers, you're helping them make memories together around the table that will last for years to come. You're supporting hundreds of American farms that have stood for generations and keeping their traditions of excellence alive. And most of all, you're giving a gift that is truly delicious that you can be proud to stand behind. Save an extra 10% on every order with my code 1000HOURS and get free shipping plus 100% satisfaction guarantee. No stress, no risk, just America's best meat delivered. Head to GoodRanchers.com to find all your gifts this year. Use my code 1000HOURS to save a bonus 10% today on top of their December sale. GoodRanchers.com, American meat delivered. So you talk in this book a lot about the parent's role and what is it that we should be trying to do and what is it that we should be aiming for? And you talk about self-reliance, you talk about intrinsic motivation and happiness. And what it seems to be is that we're kind of going about it backwards, that we're just really focusing so much on skill sets and getting ready for college and that type of thing. And yet that is really only one part of childhood and one part of our development. So what should the parents be doing? Well, I think that parents, uh, let's talk about the, the kids' neighborhood life, kids' kids' life, uh, their home life. <laughs> uh, parents should be more facilitating rather than forcing. And, and um, I, I give the example of, of uh, taking your kids for a walk when they're really little. You know, our tendency is, oh, I've got to go to the grocery store. I've got to drive there, of course. Because, you know, that's two minutes faster. You know, not always, but sometimes you have a, you have a store somewhere you can go that, that is a half mile away. But if you, if you decide to, to walk rather than, uh, to, rather than bike, it'll take a little longer, but you'll see people. And if you do it a few times, you'll start to talk to people. Um, your kids will see other kids. They'll talk to those kids. You know, I'll get to know their kids. They'll get to know, the parents will get to know my kids. And all of a sudden this becomes it becomes a, a, a community. It becomes a place that I'm comfortable in. And, um, you know, sometimes my, my kids might go over to the, that, that place. Uh, or when we start riding bikes, they'll know that place. They'll, they'll have a map in their head of where, where they can go. Hmm. And, you know, also biking. So we are fortunate enough to live in a place where um, we can bike to school. So we do. Um, my kids literally never went inside a car to go to school. Um, we live in a good climate, so so I know in Michigan you you have to you have to uh, avoid the snow sometimes. But all the investment that I put in, we put into that I put into uh, helping my kids learn how to be good good bicyclists, be independent cyclists. You know, it's paid off so much. They go they go, and now they have and a couple of them have e bikes. Uh, they go everywhere. I don't have to take them to soccer practice. It's great. Wow, Mike. Yeah, this is a huge point. This is a really big deal. And you talk about it in the book. You basically say, look, your kids are learning to grow and you're learning to grow as a parent to trust them. You write, having self-reliant kids can take a big load off parents as well, enabling them to enjoy themselves more. I really like your writing style. I like how you just plain as day, you say it, you say it's nerve wracking to manage someone else's life so tightly, especially when they resent you doing it. I mean, this is it. This is the truth. This is what's happening is that we're spinning our wheels. Our kids aren't liking that. We're not liking that. And in the long run, we're stuck there. 
But what you're saying is give them more freedom and that's going to make everyone's life better in the long run. Yeah. So I'll give an example. Of course, your audience, you know, a lot of your audience is younger kids. My youngest is old now. He's 14. But uh, for the last year, he's had an e-bike and any stalker practice that he has within a like six mile radius, he wants to go on his own. He does not want his parents you know, to have to schedule, to drive him there, to stand there, to, to annoy the, the coach. Uh, he doesn't want that. I'm fine with that. That's wonderful. It makes my life so much better. And, um, you know, yes, you could, it's reasonable to be afraid uh, of your kid being on, on, on certain streets, but he's been riding his bike to school for his whole life. He's pretty good at it. He's really good at, at, at riding the e-bike. It's just a win-win. And, it's not like I'm not I'm not invested in my kids. It's just that you know, why do I want to drive my kid to soccer practice? What a pain! Well, and it's so good for them to have that independence. They love it. That's like what you said. Yeah. That's his preference. That's any kid's preference. If I can have the freedom and I can have the wind in my hair and I get to ride my ebook, I'm and I think ebook e e-bike. E-bike. Uh, this yeah. is an incredible thing. So I mean, I would imagine there's parents listening that would think, "Oh my goodness, this would open up so much freedom for me if my child could." ride and get themselves to and from their whatever sports practice that's a couple miles away. I mean, how cool yeah, is and, that? And I'll make, I'll make the point that, uh, you know, talk about biking to school, because like I said, my kids, they never, I rode bikes with them every day to school and you know, through, through elementary school. It's much easier to just put them in the car, drive them over. You know, it's, it's quicker, easier. It's nice, actually fun for me to, to get on my bike with my kids. I, I really enjoy that. But also, it's an investment. It's a time investment. You got to do this stuff up front. It's much easier to put them in, you know, the, the, the cart, you know, whatever we call it, the, the, one of those trailer things on your bike that they have your five-year-old going to kindergarten, which we did on a bike, um, you know, because they don't really know. They, they, they wander and you're screaming half the time. Um, it's nerve wracking, but it's an investment early on for a payoff later on in their lives what we're, we're experiencing now where they're really good at this stuff. You know, learning independent skills, you, you, the kids don't just reach an age, uh, whatever it is, seven, eight, 12, whatever, and say, okay, now I'm ready to do this. You know, that a, a lot of people, I, I can't believe these people who, who say a kid can't cross the street until they're whatever, till 10, you know, kid can't do this. Well, maybe that might be the case, generally speaking, but let's have them do hmm. things when they're six, seven, eight years old that prepare them for that. And then they might surprise you. They may actually able to cross the street when they're nine or, or eight um, or four but, that's what dr peter gray says four yeah he said at the age used to be four years old that he would go to the the store that was a couple blocks away and get things for his grandma he said he would get her cigarettes yeah <laughs> that's how different life was back then but that four was tended to be the age that a child had agency and capacity and could kind of think through different consequences. Yeah. If you taught them, if you taught them what to do, it's like they just sent him off on his own the first time. They taught like what you did. You take your kids to school on the bike. And then by the time they're in middle school, they're doing it on their own. By the time they're in high school. And you give them a little more autonomy, a little more freedom almost every day. You're, and it's nerve wracking because they're always on the edge of, of, of your comfort zone. It's, it's more nerve wracking. I, I, I have a great story about my son, Nico, who is now taller than me. He's now six feet tall and he's 15 years old. He is my middle son. So my oldest son is three years older. My oldest son was a great bicyclist, was really good on bikes. And my son, Nico, when he was a toddler, he aspired to be his older son, Marco. And my son, Marco, is a great bicycle. So Nico would just literally hang out in our garage for hours on end. And we had all these different wheel, wheel vehicles. So we had, you know, the, the wheelie car and we had a scooter and we had different bikes. Mm -hmm. We had with bikes with training wheels. And he would try different ones. And, you know, he's thinking he's got his role model of Marco. One day I came home and he was on a balance bike. And he picked his feet up and he rolled. He taught himself how to ride a bicycle without training wheels. He was two years and nine months old. Unbelievable. True story. True story. Unbelievable. I mean, he, he, he just, because he had the freedom, because he had a smooth driveway, because he had a brother and he had all these different wheel vehicles, he was trying things and he did it. And so all I did, he, you know, he did, you know, the balance bike where, you know, it's mm -hmm. kind of meant for kids to learn how to, he, he was, he was just like kind of rolling on that. He was picking up his feet for two seconds, five seconds, you know. And, and so I, I got him on a regular bike that has pedals. I showed him the pedals. Um, I put him on that. 
And I'd say in 10 minutes, he was riding a bike. Two years and nine months. Wow. Um, and it's, it's not because I did anything. It's just because we gave him this environment. We, we, we gave him this, this rich environment, and, and he had the inspiration of his older brother. You can't say they're always going to figure it out. But how many parents have just killed, you know, just almost killed themselves trying to teach their kids to ride a bike, ride a bike at eight, nine, ten years old? Um, it can be really horrible. But if you give kids the right the, 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 uh, environment, that they give them some freedom, sometimes they can really surprise you. Mm-hmm. It's this facilita- facilitation concept. Yeah. They are facilitating the environment and what they have access to. And back to that multi-age thing. If there's some older kids around, then they're being inspired to try different things or to try and figure it out on their own. Yeah, that's incredible. Two years and nine months. And then what a cool thing. These kids are still biking and get into all their stuff. What about the parents who are afraid? You had some really good information in here about fear. Basically, that a lot of it is irrational. Well, yeah, I mean, and, you know, it, it's hard to tell people that they have Maybe that's a bad word fear. to use. Maybe that's the wrong word. Let, yeah. me read, let me read what you wrote. You said, okay. if you don't let your children roam your neighborhood because you're afraid of predators, then you shouldn't be driving them either. <laughs> Basically, well, dri- driving them around. Dri- because driving is really risky it's really risky so um sure driving your kids around in your neighborhood that's pretty safe but you probably also take your kids you know you take your kids on the big you know four lane six lane road you probably take them on the interstate highway you take them a lot of places it's a really dangerous place to be you know i i I would just say i have an interesting little little thing to say about fear i talked about walking walking with your kids and even when your kids are in a stroller or, or just, you know, toddlers, uh, a, a really interesting thing happens if you think about this. If you start walking your neighborhood with your kids, especially, it's great. You start to, you know, see faces, you know, a couple times, you start talking to people. Think about this. They have not changed. Those people are the same people. But just the very act of seeing them and catching eye contact, talking to them a little bit, you feel like it's a safer neighborhood. Hmm. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. The, the neighborhood did not change. But the perception is, oh, this is a safe place because I know it. And as it's, it's yeah. kind of the way our, our minds work because we have some, you know, most of the time when we meet people, over half the time, we think they're reasonable people. We think they're nice people. Uh, our kids are more likely than less likely to like other kids that they see. You just have to go out there and start experiencing it, meeting people. And uh, it becomes less risky. Mm-hmm. Wow. And little by little, you grow and they grow. And kids are able to expand and we're able to step back a little bit. And it makes everyone's life better in the long run. Yeah. We are in the last few weeks for shopping for holiday gifts. And if you want to hear, where do you get that this holiday season? Uncommon Goods is your secret weapon. Uncommon Goods is here to make your holiday shopping stress-free, by scouring the globe for the most remarkable and truly unique gifts for everyone on your list. Whether you're shopping for your secret Santa or your entire family, Uncommon Goods knows what they want. Here are a few of my favorite gifts that I found on their site. Under their Christmas gifts and stocking stuffer categories, they have gifts for her, for him, for kids, for teens, stocking stuffers, gift guides, gift sets, and more. I love the Book Nook Reading Valet, one of my favorites because I love to read. They have beautiful ornaments, customizable gifts, even the 12 Days of Hot Sauce Advent Calendar. So make sure you check out UncommonGoods.com for your holiday shopping this year. When you shop at Uncommon Goods, you're supporting artists and small independent businesses. These fine products are often made in small batches. So shop now before they sell out this holiday season. To get 15% off your next gift, go to uncommongoods.com slash outside. That's uncommongoods.com slash outside for 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited time offer, Uncommon Goods, or all out of the ordinary. So you have a really interesting thing in this book, Playborhood. The subtitle is Turn Your Neighborhood into a Place for Play. So you're talked about, there's a lot of these broad topics, free play in general, parenting, fear, success and happiness, intrinsic motivation, all of that. And then you have a section in the middle where you go through different types of areas that are good for facilitating play. So all across the country, you highlighted these different areas. Was it hard to find those different places? Did people come to you? How did that process work? 
Yeah, well, the, the funny little story about, about writing the book was I wrote all my advice stuff and I wrote about my yard and I talked to my editor and my, my editor said, well, you know, this is great, but, um, you know, I think parents would like to, to, to see that this is happening more than in, than in just your yard. And I said, well, yeah, it is. Well, they said, well, you know, why don't you prove it? Why don't you show people? And I had a wonderful time. It was a lot of work, but it was, I had a wonderful time learning about these different places. And, um, you know, I, I really, I think it adds to the book. It adds to the experience of reading it that uh, there's very different ways to get to the same result, which is kids mm-hmm. being outside and being independent. There's a, a you know, a, the ghetto in, in, in South Bronx, Lyman Place, where uh, Hetty Fox was running a play street there for over 40 years. And it was just this one stretch of street where she was allowed by the Police Athletic League of New York to block off the street. And then they just had some uh, volleyball net, basketball hoop, uh, some game tables, and kids would just come outside and and parents would come outside. Um, And it was a wonderful, warm, a fun place where kids were going out to play every day. Then you've got, uh, you know, a play street close to me. Actually, I wrote a sidebar on a, a, a outdoor hockey rink in Toronto, oh, yeah. which I just love. Very, very cool place. Anyway, it was it was fun to write about these places, and uh, it, does, it does add a lot of texture to uh, mm-hmm. to the book. And maybe maybe you can relate more to, to other places than you can relate to my place. Who knows? Yeah, there was a really cool things. I had notes from the hockey one because the person that you were talking to said you instantly root for cold temperatures the cold is your ally you are not depressed by the short dry cold days and nights but rejoice in them without question my life is better with my backyard rink i'm happier more upbeat and more attuned to nature yeah. what a couple sentences yeah it changes the whole thing to have this community place yeah, yeah. where you can get together yeah. and skate around yeah i, I never um, I, i'm from pittsburgh which is uh does not have cold enough winters to, to maintain an outdoor hockey rink. We're always in Pittsburgh. We were always hovering up above mm-hmm. and below freezing. Uh, but but uh, uh, places you know in the upper Midwest, uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, and then up in Canada, uh, you can have a hockey rink. Um, it's a lot of work to maintain. But what I love is um, people who love to ice skate and people who have these neighborhood hockey rinks, they get excited when it gets cold out. They get excited when the, the days get short because they know it, it's going to be cold enough that we can have the, this neighborhood hockey rink. And then it becomes this wonderful place where people people go to just to skate or to play hockey. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's, it can be really magical. Absolutely. We have one friend that does that. And she has in her garage, she just grabs them at yard sales and different places. And she just has all sorts of skates. So even if you don't have your own ice skates, your kids can still. And there's just kids in their yard all the time running over, grabbing the different ice skates, skating around for a little bit, coming inside, getting hot chocolate. So that was a cool idea. You talked about a family that, you know, they lived in an apartment and they didn't have air conditioning. It's It gives you perspective on that there's pros and cons to all sorts of different circumstances. So one of the things that you talk about is this con for kids that seem to have everything. You say, actually, they really don't have everything they don't really have much. They're really stressed out. And then you talk about these families that maybe they live in smaller means and they're in this apartment complex and they don't have air conditioning and the walls are thin, but that becomes a bonus because then they hear the kids outside, the, the lack of air conditioning gets you out because you're just hot and you, and you want to get out into some fresh air and the kids are playing in a little small courtyard. And yeah. so all sorts of different ideas. Yeah, the, the, the apartment complex that I wrote about in a, in a two-page sidebar, it's just an average apartment complex. Nothing amazing about it. What was amazing was, well, first of all, they, there's a courtyard. There's a there's a, a, an area you know between uh, many different apartments. It's I think it was two stories, so two different levels of apartments. So there's maybe a courtyard that, that, that was in, inside a, a, a complex of maybe 10 or 12 units. But the thing that was really remarkable was that a couple of parents decided – we're going to put out our little lawn chair and we're going to sit here and we're going to bring our kids out rather than stay. Why stay inside when it's you know so hot inside? Let's go outside. We've got a little sandbox here. We've got tons of cardboard boxes. And just because a couple parents made the commitment other, that drew other parents and their kids. And it's just a, it was a happening place. It was wonderful. I love it. So in the book, you've got really great photos, too. You've got photos of your things. You've got photos of the kids in the cardboard box. You ended up with... F- just different examples you really see it 
I thought that was an awesome thing that you did with the book is you write about it, but then you can really visualize it because so many of the things that you might wonder, oh, I wonder what that was like, then you'd have a picture of it. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, well, I'm sorry, I'm thinking one of my frustrations was, was maybe I should have done a, a, a big expensive color book because uh, I have these amazing color photos and I ended up uh, making a book that is affordable. So it's $9.95 on Amazon. Uh, it's got black and white photos. Uh, but yeah. Uh, there, you know what? I tell you what, Mike, the black and white photos show it just enough, just as well. And actually there's some charm in the black and white photos, like this little one of this boy with his little feet. These photos are charming. And you're talking about, you know, you're talking about taking things back to a time when this was a natural part of society. And so I actually think the black and white photos fit fairly well with the topic at hand. And so I just loved that you had these pictures in there, all with captions. So you have a good sense of what you were talking about, because there are so many different ideas, depending on these different places yeah, that you visited. I, you know, I wanted to make a comment about, about the photos. It's kind of a, it was a pet peeve of mine over the years blogging, doing research for the book, was I never wanted to take a photo of, quote, kids play without kids. And so that makes it harder for publication because you've got to get you know, permission from parents. Mm -hmm. but, uh, but I did. You know, I, I tracked parents down. But so many, so many people uh, who write about children's play show an empty, empty playground and say, oh, what's it, what, this is a great place to play. And to me, it's not a great place to play. It's not a great place to play unless there are kids playing there and that their kids, the kids should be playing there a lot. And I like to show the kinetic energy of the kids doing things and uh, sometimes doing th interesting things that we couldn't anticipate rather than just showing these static images of, of, hmm. of play, play materials. Wow. You really do see the energy. The the pictures really stuck out to me. Like I would be able to say after reading the book, I really like the picture of the kids coming off the playhouse and they're, they're coming down the slide and you can, you, it looks like they're coming fast and the playhouse is all decorated. And then you talked about how you use your playhouse for sleepovers. So sometimes kids would be sleeping out there. So the pictures are fantastic. There was a one I really liked of a little boy that was in your front yard playing with a little fountain and a towel and he's so engaged with it. Yeah, you yeah. know, the two-year-olds are hard. But if you can have yeah. these periods of time, what a gift to your neighborhood for whoever was the parent of that two-year-old that that little child was occupied for a time being the water elements looked like they were so much fun what a cool thing yeah the photography is awesome i really liked that part of it and really neat to actually see what it looked like at some of these places so and i think the black and white fits it's a great book 9.95 how fantastic it's definitely worth reading so it's been 10 years it's been 11 years yeah are there things at this point that you would add or change or new thoughts that you've had since then um well I guess one thing I would say is you can predict, you can try to predict, but you don't want to get out over your skis, so to speak. Now I can say, wow, it worked. E even though um, I had such conviction when I was writing the book, when I published it, now I can say, like right now, you know, my kids are teenagers, but, you know, they went on their e-bikes. There are some soccer fields somewhere. You know, later today, I'm sure there'll be kids playing in my backyard, jumping on the trampoline. This worked, yeah. You know, and 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 uh, how it worked, and and how it, you know, there are there are some issues. Sometimes we have uh, we have kids who uh, try to draw graffiti. Uh, it's kind of not not nice graffiti somewhere. But on the whole, you know, we we've done a good job, mm -hmm. and the, the texture of how they came together, I think, is great. As far as what you know, I'm trying to think. What would I have done differently? Um, I guess I don't think there's anything that, I mean, it, it all still fits. So maybe I worded that wrong. No, it's okay. It, but maybe be more if you have any additional thoughts. But I mean, it's really a, just a comprehensive book. And like you said, it worked back then. It worked 10 years ago. It worked 40 years ago. It worked 80 years ago. It's still working now. But the, the crucial difference between 40 years ago and today is, you know, I'm thinking of little kids now, toddlers and and tweens and well there's between toddlers and tweens what is that you got toddlers you got elementary school kids maybe we'll mm -hmm. call them elementary school kids at, at that age when i was a kid kids just went out and they made their own friends and the kids were the leads, leads mm -hmm. in the neighborhood they were the, they were the people who were kind of the the, the social connectors uh, and then uh parents my parents would get to know parents of other of other kids because of the kids who made the relationship now 
parents need to do more work mm-hmm. because there's not much going on in neighborhoods. Often I criticize, I have criticized the cultural play dates. Um, to some extent, it can be necessary sometimes just to get the ball rolling. So the big difference is that right now, often parents connect and then the kids connect. Interesting. It's backwards. Yeah. But the hope is, the hope is, or at least the way I, I try to do it, and I think we've done it pretty well, is, um, you know, parents can back off and say, okay, kids, go ahead. Uh, you know, you don't need me anymore. But anyway, I was, I, I interrupted you, but, but I just wanted to say, that's one big difference. The big, biggest difference is child-led versus parent-led. But with the idea of flavorhood is parents, you know, get involved and do a lot of stuff early on. But then if things work out, they can back off and they can have, uh, they can give their kids a lot of independence. And actually, you know, we can have a lot of independence too, which is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you had written about a thing where everyone's together in a town square or something. And because the kids are playing, then the parents can have their own conversations. It really is such a win-win. You talk, let's just talk just a, f- a minute about why it matters. You're talking about a lot in this book about the negative effects of this loss of play of the dead neighborhoods and what it's doing to our kids. You say the cost of restricting kids' lives out of fear is substantial. What do you see that's happening for kids who are really restricted? Um, well, what comes to mind, of course, you have a lot of kids, and my kids are guilty of this, guilty of this to some extent as well. You have a lot of kids who just sit on and look at their screens for hours on end, especially in the summer. Uh, it's, it's really sad. So another way to, to sort of answer that question is kind of from a different, totally different point of view is to say, I've seen so many kids come to our yard who really don't know how to play, you know, with abandon. They don't, they don't know, know how to really let it rip or really let it go. And part of this is about risk. You know, it's about just doing things that seem a little risky. Uh, and so a lot of, I see so many kids come to our yard and they're tentative and they're thinking, oh, I sh- should I try that? They want to. They don't know how. They don't know how to take risks. They don't know how to jump on the, 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 the zip line. They don't know how to jump on the trampoline. Or I hate to say it, we have a two-story playhouse next to the trampoline. We have kids jumping from the playhouse to the trampoline. We have them jump 10 or 12 feet. You know, at first they see someone else doing it, they're afraid. But pretty much every kid I've ever seen here at some point goes nuts, like has this joy, this, this experience of huge, unbounded joy. Mm-hmm. And I think, oh, you mean your life, normally, you don't have this joy, you don't have this wonderful feeling of totally, uh, you know, letting loose and having as much fun as you possibly can. That's your life. Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of what we're, we, we hope to, we brought, we brought to our kids, we brought to neighbor kids, and we hope to bring to anybody who comes here is just at least a glimpse of how life can yeah. be when you're in total control, when you're pushing yourself to your limits, when you're trying stuff that, 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 that is hard and that is exciting for you, and you, know, and you don't get hurt. Um, mm-hmm. I have a whole thing to say about, about fear, of, risk, fear of, of risks and how kids manage risk. Kids really don't get hurt in this yard, hardly at all, but they have a lot of joy. Wow. Isn't that the thing? I'm like, we're so scared of them getting hurt, but they don't want to get hurt. This is what I've read. They're more careful than we really give them credit for. And they are learning with each and every one of those days and experiences how to move their bodies so that they don't get hurt, so that they can move yeah. in ways that keep them safe. I'll just say about that. If a kid is in kids, there's something built into to a lot of kids, especially young boys. They want to take risks. They want to try things. But if they're always restricted, you know, often what happens is the moment that the parent's not looking, they're, they're restricted 90% of the time, then they go crazy like a, a bat out of hell, so to speak. Um, and, and then they, they're they likely to, to get injured in a certain yeah. way. But but kids in our yard, you know, especially if, you know, the parent who, who's there with their kids is is laid back enough, they, we try to get them to be laid back. Uh, the kids have a lot of time to climb up the playhouse, to jump off the playhouse to the trampoline, to, to ride the zip line. And if, if kids... You know, if it's not an unusual, super unusual thing, if it's not, you know, just something that where they're escaping uh, and, 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 and trying something dangerous as quickly as they can, you, you watch mm-hmm. the kids, they don't want to die. They don't want to get hurt. Right. They actually are very careful. They will scaffold on their own. They'll, they'll try a little bit more. They'll try a little bit more. They'll push yeah. themselves a little bit more. They'll take the time. 
and, and what I've seen a lot, you know, with my kids and other kids who are here a lot, is they become good at risk taking. They be, it becomes a skill where they're good at. Oh, I should say flips on the trampoline. I can't tell you how many kids have learned how to do forward and backward flips on a trampoline. And and you know, I, my kids, you know, some of them can do uh, have, have done double flips and flips with twists and all that stuff. They didn't start that. They started doing horrible stuff that you know look really uncoordinated, but they try and they try and they try. They're, they're learning how to take risks, mm -hmm. and um, that's a great skill to have in life. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm an entrepreneur. You know, I'm pretty good at taking risks. I'm not taking physical risks, but it kind of carries over to other things in life. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. They're drawn to risk. They're drawn to thrill, and if they're never getting it, then the time when you do let them loose, they can go overboard and that's when they're getting hurt. That really makes a whole lot of sense. What an interesting thing. There's so many interesting things to think about in this book. Playborhood, turn your neighborhood into a place for play. It's been around for a decade, still so pertinent. It's only 10 bucks. So it's a great one to add to your arsenal of parenting books. You talk a lot in this one about your own childhood. And Mike, we always end our podcast with the same question about your childhood and what what's a favorite memory or a couple favorite memories from when you were growing up that were outside? Well, yeah, my, a large part of my life as a kid was outside in uh, uh, our suburban neighborhood in Pittsburgh. Gosh, there's, there's so many. I, I just, we just left, I'll just say, we had this hangout. It was the street, uh, Patches Street, uh, Blocker Street between my house and a neighbor's house. And we played softball, we played football or two hand tap football, we played street hockey. And they were, you know, we got really, really into it every day. We got really competitive. We had a league for a while in softball and we loved the street. And so the memory I want to share with you is we were there a lot and we decided that that was our street, that it did not belong to cars. One day I remember we spontaneously, we, we, we decided we, we put up a, a string of chairs uh, with hockey sticks across, across the street and we charged a toll. And uh, we, we told cars, you, know, you have to pay the toll. Now, in reality, we let them pass. You know, it was just kind of a joke. <laughs> it was kind of a joke. We, we probably got it. I think we got a couple quarters out of it. Um, but the, the point is that if you think about it, streets, especially in a residential neighborhood, why are they just for cars? Why is the kids can't claim streets as partially their territory too? And I'm really proud of the fact that, that, that as kids, um, we had this really entrepreneurial idea that we were going to exert our domain, exert our, how, how much I put it, our, 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 our possession over, over the street. And, um, you know, we went overboard. We did. We, we shouldn't block the street. But on the other hand, I think, I think kids today are too ready to let cars pass all the time. And they're too afraid to go out and put their hockey nets in the street and play street hockey. And, uh, you know, I've done that with, I did that a lot with all of my kids. And now we have a basketball hoop out there. And they're out there these days pretty much every day. It's awesome. Mike, this is so inspirational. And kudos to you for writing a book that has this staying power. You know, here you are, a software engineer, writing about play. And this book that some people are just, they just ordered 100 copies. I mean, it's incredible. And so I recommend if people haven't read it yet, I think a lot of people have read it, but Playborhood, Turn Your Neighborhood into a Place for Play by Mike Lanza. You can find more information at playborhood.com. This is just filled with the practical, the inspirational, and you really are so clear and concise with what you say. You say, we've chosen to create worse lives for our kids. What a clear and concise thing to say. I think it's true. And you are giving the solutions to turn the tide. So thank you for being here. Thanks for such an inspirational book and for taking your time to talk with us today. Ginny, it was great. You're a great interviewer. Thank you so much.